things that bump in the night. Things that creep us out. Voices from another realm. The figures that move out of the corner of your eye. That odd light in the sky. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to our first ever live episode of It Came From Amity. Yeah, guys, we're really excited to be doing this with y'all. Uh, there's a lot of prep work today to get this done, uh, this week to get this done. And uh, so we're coming to you guys live, and we hope that you guys enjoy the live feed. And then later on, if you're not into staying with us for an hour of live uh, production, then go back and listen to the podcast however you listen to this podcast, whether we post a link or you have it on the Anchor app or uh, Google Podcast or Spotify, uh, then we definitely would encourage you to go do that because this will be a very, very good episode for you guys this week. And we're also recording our typical um, recorded podcast as we do this, so you can catch us on there too. I'll be adjusting things and kind of tweaking stuff as we go, so just bear with me. But let's jump right into it. What are we talking about today? So, Noah, you decided to throw this at me as uh, I've never even heard of this. So I did really? a lot of research this week of the Ketty Cabin Murders. Um, I would say it's probably one of my favorite unsolved cases. It's, it's really creepy. Yeah, it's, so. it's definitely got a very creepy... I mean, it's an unsolved murder. There's quadruple homicide. Um, yeah. And we'll go into the nuts and bolts in this. Um, so we've had, I don't know, probably like almost what, almost a two week layover, really. It's been about two weeks, yeah. Um, our schedules have been really hectic with my overtime at my full time job and Noah's uh, scheduling with his weddings and his uh, film or videography and photography work and stuff. It's kind of put our podcast in a little bit of a two week kind of a hiatus. But, uh, we got a nice window here today. The, uh, nice weather, Sunday yeah, afternoon. Weather's perfect. It's not too hot in the studio. And we got a nice little window of opportunity. And now we're live with you guys. Some of you may be watching the Colts game. Some of you may be having nothing oh, to do. Oh, we're doing it during a Colts game? <laughs> yeah. Man. I didn't realize it until I saw Chris Wilson's post. So. Well, that sucks. But, hey, people can still watch it. Yeah, people you know, can still watch it later. Yeah. and It'll be saved on here. Yeah. So, anyway. The Ketty Cabin Murders. Yep. What year did this uh, take place? This happened, they surmise, anywhere from late evening, April 11th, of, uh, 1981, or the early morning outer hours of April 12th of 1981. So almost 40 years ago. Yep. And so... What and we, it's still unsolved to this day. Still unsolved to this day. And there's a lot of reasons for why it is, although if you talk to the current sheriff at Plumas County... A sheriff's office, he will tell you that the, one of the biggest reasons it remains unsolved, it was one of the most sloppy investigations ever conducted in the county. Really? Yeah. He feels hmm. that his that the, uh, the presiding sheriff of Plumas County at the time was very sloppy and uh, how he conducted the investigation. And we'll actually kind of figure out maybe why it was so sloppy uh, as we get through... Um, as we get through our script here today. Okay, so like Jeffrey Dahmer sloppy? 
Well, it might be more of like an inside type of job sloppy. Okay. Than, you know what I'm saying? Like in, like um, intentionally sloppy. Yes. Because it was a small town. Small town, and there was a possibility that since the sheriff possibly knew the suspect, uh, well, the prime suspect here, that he wanted to protect him. Kind of help muck things yep. up a little bit. Yep. Yeah. So we'll, That we'll, happens a lot. Yeah, and we'll, <clears throat> and we'll definitely, as we get further down our notes here, we'll definitely uh, be able to reveal more information with y'all. And, boy, we've got a lot of notes. Yeah, there's a lot of information. Um, so to kind of uh, kick us off, so the popular opinion is that it was around the late evening of April, April 11th of 1981, where 36-year-old Glenna quote-unquote Sue Sharp. I think she just went by Sue. Sue. Yeah, yeah, Sue Sharp. Her 15-year-old son, John, and his 17-year-old friend, Dana Wingate, were murdered in Cabin 28 at the Ketty Resort in Ketty, California. It was discovered later that 12-year-old Tina Sharp was missing. Her remains surfaced years later. And uh, I think, if I remember right, it was about three years later in neighboring Boot County. Did they find her in, like, a trunk or something like that? They found her skull protruding, like, the skull cap protruding out of the soil. A bottle Ooh. collector. So, basically, literally a guy who collects bottles was wandering off in the woods and found the cranium, and then investigators later went out to the site because, you know, it's obviously human remains, and they found other clues that led investigators to believe that it was possibly Tina Sharp. And when the forensics would check out it. the bone yeah. and, uh, data and everything, they found it was, in fact, Tina. That sucks to be that guy. You're, out, you're just out looking for bottle caps, you know, and you see a top of a head sitting in the soil. Well, the good thing is, though, is at least in it, it put all their, you know, the victims together. Right. And now they, they know for a fact. You know, he was probably seen as a suspect, though. Like, that it happens every time somebody finds a, a body. Be. Oh, yeah. So, that's why if I ever see a body, I'm just going to run the other way. Yep. Yeah, it would be I would just like when we talked a couple weeks ago about Fox Hollow Farm and they that guy found that right. femur bone. Yeah. So here we have Sue Sharp and her five children. John, who was fifteen, Sheila fourteen, Tina twelve, Ricky ten, and Greg five. They moved from Quincy to Ketty and rented Cabin Twenty Eight five months before the murders. So one of the reasons that they moved is that Sue was had left her husband and they needed some place to go. And if I remember right, the cabin belonged to her brother. I think. Um, so it was a familiar place. Yeah. They went there. I think I was reading they had rented it like five months earlier mm-hmm. and, and camped there and they yep. were fine. So Yep. <clears throat> so on the evening of April 11th, 1981, Sue had given the okay for Ricky and Greg to have their friend, 12-year-old Jason, Justin Eason, over to spend the night. So now we have someone who's not associated with the family other than an outside friend who has come over to stay. And Justin Easton will go on later on in our notes and later on in the investigation of being someone who gives information to law enforcement and to investigators as to possible suspects and something like that. And he kind of jumbles the story up himself as years go on. He kind of on contradicts his own information. Well, I mean, you're also dealing with trauma. Mm -hmm. You know, even if you didn't witness it, you you still were there when it happened. So So you have... 12-year-old Justin Easton, like I said, a family friend, over to spend the night. Justin was also relatively new to Ketty. He had been living in Montana with his father, but moved in with his mother and stepfather, Marilyn and Martin Smart, in November of 1980. Now, keep those two names in mind, because those two names will pop up off and on as we go through our notes. Martin Smart especially. Oh, yeah, Martin Smart especially. Yeah. So the Smarts actually lived not too far from 
the Sharps, they lived like maybe a couple minutes away. They were in cabin 26. And now when you say lived, did they live there? Yes. These full cabin, time? Yes. These were living cabins. They weren't just. But the family that was murdered, they, they lived there yes, like an apartment. There. Okay. Yeah, it wasn't lived, just a vacation. I mean, I imagine some of them probably were, but some okay. of these were, were actual permanent okay. residences. Okay. I got you. Um, so you have Justin spending the night and the smarts said that it wasn't going to be a problem, but if it became one to let the Sue knew that she could always send him home. Plus the house was fairly empty. So Sheila, one, uh, I think the daughter, uh, had plans to sleep over at a friend's house and John and his friend, 17 year old Dana Wingate. And just to clarify, Dana here is a boy, not a girl. We're going to Quincy that night, then coming back to hang out in John's bedroom in the basement. Tina was over in cabin 27 watching television, but came home around 10 p.m. And as we'll find out, as we already know, it would probably been better off if Tina had been over in cabin 27. There's a, there's a lot of people involved in this, mm -hmm. so it's hard to remember who's who. Yep. So just bear with us. And, there, and we're, there's a lot of information here, people. So we know, I mean, I mean I've been checking this out trying to compare articles and notes and investigative notes that other people have done and law enforcement has done, trying to, to see what lines up. And there's just so many yeah. people in and out and who talk about possibly witnessing this vehicle, that vehicle in front of the Sharp House, and so on and so forth, that it kind of, it, it's almost no wonder, even if, even if the sheriff at the time mm -hmm. had all of his notes and had conducted this investigation as good as he should have done, it would have been confusing at the outset anyway. Right. So. Plus the technology back then. You well, know, yeah, I mean, the early it 80s. It was basically a pad and a, a, pad and a pen. That's and, what you had. Yep. And you know, uh, old old cameras and. Maybe a couple fingerprints here and there. Yeah, it was. I mean, you got to remember forensics at that time was not what it is in 2019. Right. So the following morning, Sheila Sharp returned home around 745 a.m. as she opened the door. She immediately noticed an offensive order that seemed to engulf the room. Now, you got to remember, at this point, the common conception is, is that the Sharps had been dead since probably late evening of the yeah. 11th. It was probably smelling pretty funky in there. Yep. So, I mean, you know, you have a cabin that's, you know, a little drafty, but pretty much sealed up for the most part. Uh, cabins are known, especially if they're well-built cabins, to be pretty airtight. That's what the, cops say they can. And you were a medic, mm -hmm. so you know when you, when you smell death. Excuse me. It's like that copper. Yeah, blood irony. has a blood has a very distinct odor, especially yeah. when it's in volume. You know, like when I mean, if you have ever like bit your lip or your tongue, or yeah. you, or you smack your finger to bleed and you stuck it in your mouth and you get that coppery uh, taste, blood has a similar coppery odor. Right. And then the more voluminous or, or you know, the more there is, um, the the deeper that smell. And then on top of that, you have uh, body other body fluids. That so you can stand, you can smell it. Literally, as soon as you walk in, you know yeah. this is not going to be good. No, yeah, I mean, and then on top of that, I mean, even if you didn't have blood, yeah, death does have a certain it's distinct got a odor. Yeah, I mean, death itself does definitely have an odor, without yeah. a doubt. Um, so she stepped in the living room, and it took her mind a moment to comprehend what I was saying because you have to think: here's, you know, little Sheila Sharp, and. She has just discovered her family, mm -hmm. at least a large portion of her family, dead in the living room floor and couch 
and their blood is everywhere. And the it, floor, this is at seven forty-five a.m. Yep. So, so she's not even really. I mean, probably even awake. I mean, not really. You know, just she's just getting her day started. Now we're just going to let you know we are going to get into some pretty gritty details coming up right now. Yep. So yeah. if if you're faint, you know. Yeah, the I mean, this is a very gory crime scene. This isn't, I mean, this is something straight out of a horror movie. Yeah, look like if you cabins, are, I was just telling Casey before this we started, cabins are small, and I was looking at some crime scene photos, not intentionally. I just googled it, and they came up. The whole cabin was bloody. Yeah, there was not a spot of carpet that was not bloody. Well, yeah, I mean, and okay. we're going to talk about how that got so bloody because it's not yeah. just like. It's not just like someone just got beat up and left for dead. There, no. There's a big reason for was, why. Oof. So, uh, so her brother John appeared to be bound and lying on his back on the living room floor. There was blood caked around his neck and face, and next to John was a boy bound and lying face down. It appeared that the boy and John were tied together at their feet. Now, her eyes landed on a yellow blanket and covering what looked like a body. And then, gripped by fear, she ran to the neighbors while screaming for help. That's what anybody would do. Well, yeah, I mean, you got to <laughs> get think, out of there. This is a young girl. I mean, let's see, Sheila was 14. So yeah. you got to think if you're a 14 year old young girl, you're you're not you're not going to think about throwing over that blanket to see who's yeah. under it because you don't want to know. You've already seen too much anyway. Plus, the, whoever did it could still be in there. Yeah, you have no idea. And so she's in a complete panic, and what any other 14 year old girl would have done. Right. So the investigation in the murders was initially handled by the Plymouth County Sheriff's Office. And from the start, the investigation was riddled with errors and oversights. To start out with, what we know is the crime scene was never properly secured. No. Uh, even more astounding was that the amount of time that it took for the police to realize that Tina Sharp was missing. So they didn't even realize that Tina wasn't even there. They probably thought she went over to a friend's house or something like that, went to school, who knows. Yeah, yeah I mean, could you imagine like... So you're like the you're the sheriff's office and you're over there trying to account for everybody on scene, right? But you don't, or maybe you didn't properly like assign your share, you know, your deputies to go. Okay, you know, you're doing this, you're doing that. Okay, you need to make sure that everybody's here. It's supposed to be here, right? And if they're not here, where are they? Now it said they moved in five months earlier. Mm -hmm. They could have been just a new family in town, and nobody really knows who's who. Maybe be. they hadn't met the cops yet. It's very possible. You know? So, <clears throat> yeah, they didn't realize that Tina Sharp was missing. And when the first police officer arrived at the scene, Justin Easton tried to tell them that Tina was missing, but they ignored what the boy was saying. And it wasn't until hours later that everyone realized that the 12-year-old daughter of the murdered woman was gone. They ignored the boy. They ignored him. So here you have this little boy. And, be, and my, my guess would be because he is a little boy, he's 12, that... Oh, kid, you don't know what you're talking about. But here he is saying, hey, I, Tina is gone. She's yeah. missing. She was here He's last night. He's not going to make that up. Yeah. I mean, you know, she was here last night. She came home around 10. Right. But now she's not here. And the sheriff's deputies are like, buzz off, kid. You're bugging us. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's just, just like, old, that's just how it seems like those old-timey cops were back then. Yeah. Especially I mean, every, everywhere, not yeah. just here. It's just like, yeah, I mean, just kind of like... You know, hey, you know, kid, buzz off. You know, right. you don't know what you're talking about. And he, but here he is saying, "Hey, Tina's not here. Tina's missing. Yeah. Tina's gone." So inside cabin 28, investigators found that two kitchen knives and one that had been used with such force that the blade was actually bent on the knife. Ooh. So 
They also found a hammer, a pellet gun, and a pellet on the living room floor, which led investigators to believe that the pellet gun was also used in the attacks. Now, I've, now the, the pellet gun that was used was a Daisy 880. Now, I've had similar pellet guns when I was a child, and, you know, I've shot some birds and squirrels back in the day, you know, as a kid. Yeah. And um, so, you know, they'll, they'll kill a small game. I can't, I don't know if the 880, I never owned one of that model, but if it would actually kill i mean probably I don't injure think, someone but. i don't think it's been it was used as a killing device i've heard of those kind of guns being used as a decoy as a fake mm -hmm. stay in the house get back get on the couch right mm -hmm. it's a threat sure people see the gun they see you walk in with a, a figure that looks like a gun they're not going to know the difference well what they did right? say no i didn't see it necessarily in this one but in, uh, in notes that I did take earlier today, what they did see is that there was an imprint on the side of Sue's head, which the imprint matched the buttstock of that pellet gun. So somebody knocked her out with it. Knocked her out or just yeah. bludgeoned her with it. So, I mean, it, it was definitely using the attacks, but probably not as a uh, actually yeah. firearm. You know, Probably not just a way to, to boss them around. Yeah. And, so, I yeah. mean, she definitely got smoked with it at some point. Um, so... <coughs> okay, so I want to think about this because this comes up a lot. Mm -hmm. A knife that was used so viciously that it bent while they were stabbing them. I mean, I mean, even just like, and I mean, not just stabbing because Sue Sharp, she had the imprint of the rifle, yeah. you know, from the buttstock against uh, somewhere in her head. There was an imprint there. She was stabbed in the chest. And her throat was slashed. Yeah. So, I mean, whether the, you know, they, they stabbed her in the chest and it bent from, you know, an upward force down, you know, or maybe, you know, trying to slash her throat. I, yeah. You know, it's hard saying. It's just, it's hard to imagine. I mean, I know it's possible, but just somebody stabbing somebody so hard they bend a knife. I mean, they said they were kitchen it's knives. Insane. It makes me think if they were like one of those like cheap, like made in like Pakistan yeah. kitchen knives with a real flimsy blade. Right. You know, that you could sit and just literally do this with. Yeah. I wonder if it was like one of those and that's why it was bent. Or like a steak knife or yeah, something. could yeah. be. I don't know. Like I never. I even did. though, I mean, even then, though, try try bending one of those on your own. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, it could very possibly be. I mean, they they stabbed and then you know they're maybe or just got, hit a chest bone or something. Yeah, it could have got lodged between the ribs. I mean, I don't know exactly where Oof. the stab wounds were. Oh, excuse me. So they also found a hammer. Um, wait, we talked about that. So they found the hammer, the pellet gun, and uh, so and what they also found is that each victim had bound with several feet of medical tape and electrical appliance wire removed for appliances in the home and extension cords. Wow. So let's think about this. That means that the, the attackers, and we'll go about who the prime the two main prime suspects are in a minute, but these attackers had enough time. They had time, yeah. To literally go and know what they probably did, and if I was an investigator, here's what I would surmise. One attacker held him at bay with the pellet gun mm -hmm. and a hammer, and the other attacker went in and probably grabbed all that medical tape and the wire and then, and then proceeded to bind their feet and yeah. arms, right? I That's mean, they literally had to pull the appliances out, cut the wires off, yep. tie them together. Yeah, I mean, that's... That's what, some BTK crap, dude. Yeah, that, and that's exactly what my mind would go if, if I was an investigator is like, these people took their time, Yeah, right? They wanted to make sure that that these people would have no way to fight back, defend themselves, or run. Yeah. And that they would have all the time to do what they wanted to do to these individuals. Yep. Stay tuned to a BTK episode, too, oh, yeah. by the way. Oh, yeah, we'll definitely he is do one. fascinating. So 
Now, here's what we do find out is that there was no medical tape at home before the murders indicated that one of the attackers brought it in to help bind the victims with. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty interesting, you know. It was completely planned. Yeah, it was definitely planned. So they probably either didn't have enough or they didn't figure it was strong enough to right. hold certain people. I don't, it, I don't know. I, I never, you know, I didn't, in the notes that I've read and in that in 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 I've checked in on, it doesn't say like who was bound in what way. Yeah. You know, who had tape where. They probably also didn't want to release those details either because if they get false leads and all that stuff. Right. That's a good possibility. The cops will hold stuff back for that reason. Yep. So. So what we also have is that they examined the victims and Sue Sharp's body was found under the yellow blanket. So she was the, the body that was found that Sheila didn't want to uncover and that she was wearing a robe and that her underwear had been removed and forced into her mouth. Also in her mouth was a ball of tape. So could you imagine you're sitting there, you're bound in tape to whatever, and these attackers take your undergarment off, and they manage to stuff not just your underwear, but a ball of tape yeah. in your mouth. That's a problem, dude. I can't imagine it. So you're, you, you have this panic, and now you've got this massive mass yeah. in your mouth and you think you're going to choke. You're probably slobbers all running down your, yeah. your, the corners of your mouth. You're in panic mode. Your son and his friend are sitting in the room enduring the same fate you are. So now you're fearing for their lives as well as you know there are at least three other kids in another room. Right. And your, your, your mind is probably going 100 miles an hour trying to figure, okay, are these people going to kill us? Or you're just hoping that they kill the kids first and get it, make it painless. Oh, uh, you know, yeah, because there's no way of knowing. I told you guys this is dark. Yeah, okay, this is a very dark <laughs> crime scene. Like this is, like this is one of those. Like if you were to watch a movie based on these murders, which are, were actually uh, there are movies that there's are a couple, yeah. loosely based on the murders. Very fictionalized. Uh, very fictionalized. I think what was one that they uh, the strangers was one. I think. I think it was based off of it. Yeah, yeah. that was actually a pretty good movie. Mm-hmm. So, so there, so the, the, this is a very dark content, uh, probably one of the darker contents yeah. that we've ever covered. It's so really. real. It just hits you hard. Oh yeah. So, but yeah, she found her, her daughter didn't want to uncover the blanket. Yep. That so, was her mom. Yep. That was the, the, the body under the yellow blanket was Sue. She was the mother. Um, so the underwear and tape were held in place with an extension cord that was also tied around her ankles and legs. So you think... Did they say anything about rape? There was nothing I've ever seen in any of the notes about rape. It really seems like it, though, doesn't it? It does have like a... A sexual uh, undertone to yeah, it. Yeah, it does. Yeah. But I, but there's nothing that talks about sexual assault either before or after the murder. So um, whether they conducted that kind of investigation or maybe it's one of those things they botched. Maybe they just... Yeah, they just didn't look into it. Could be. Yeah. Could very well be. a lot. So... Especially if you, like you said, this seemed like it might have been a cover up. Why would they look into that? Yeah, I mean, because then all of a sudden, I mean, maybe they can test the DNA. Because DNA testing was a thing. It wasn't as good as it is now. Right. But it was still a thing. Yeah. So it's very possible they didn't want to test any possible DNA just to make sure that, hey, guess what? So uh, both Sue and John had been beaten with a claw hammer and they were stabbed many times in their bodies and throat. Dana Wingate, again a boy, just to clarify, was also beaten, but with a different hammer, and he had been strangled to death. Now, it says he was manually strangled, 
So something was either wrapped around his neck and then pulled taut yeah. to where he you know, could no longer breathe, or someone had wrapped their hands around his neck and choked him to death. Yeah. But it doesn't say if it was you know an electrical cord, if it was you know wire or someone's hands. I haven't seen anything that had indicated any method behind the strangulation. Now, when you say hammer, this was a claw hammer. That's what they said. It was a claw hammer. Yeah. But it, but in this particular point, Dana was beaten with a hammer, but it, do, it just a says different a different hammer. one. But I do think... A mallet or something, maybe. But see, the different hammer was never found at the scene. Okay. And we'll get to that, too, because there's actually two big plot points to that hammer that we'll find later on. So there was considerable blood on the living room floor. And you have to think, okay, so Sue had her throat slashed. Uh, John had his throat slashed. So if you guys have ever seen any horror movies or if you've been unfortunate enough to actually see, like, beheading videos on uh, on the Internet, when you then those cuts into the throat are heavy bleeds. Yeah. Um, it. I mean, that's a major... Those are there's um, two major arteries yeah, right there. You have your jugular, so. jug, you have jugulars on each side of your, yeah. you know, your. So you have your trachea here, and then you have your jugulars or carotid. So when those are cut, those become massive bleeds yeah. because those are those are going directly from the heart to your head. So like when matter of fact, when you get choked out, like if you get in a headlock, they cut off. Uh, blood flow yeah. to your head. That's what makes you pass out. It takes like seven seconds. Yep. So, and, and and they have to let you go real soon because it could kill you. Um, so anyway, like if you've, or you've ever seen like when they do like slaughterhouse videos, like how they kill like cows. Yeah, and I don't watch that stuff. They will cut the throat <laughs> so they can get the carotids yeah. and jugulars. Okay? It's too so, real for me. I, I can't do, yep. I can't do it. So that's why that, that floor was covered and caked in blood is because those bleeds are massive bleeds. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. they said considerable amount of blood guys. I'm not exaggerating. This place was covered. It yep. looked like the shining with, when the doors opened up, imagine that after the, the river of blood was gone, just red carpet. Yep. That's what it looked like. Yep. yep. So, and they also found <clears throat> drops of blood on Tina's bed. The investigation pointed to rape as the motivation behind killing Tina. Kidnapping. Mm-hmm. They kidnapped Tina, right? Yeah, they did take yeah, Tina. okay. So they did say that rape was the motivation instead of murdering her in the home with the others. Okay. And more evidence found included a bloody footprint that was discovered in the yard with knife marks in some of the walls of the home. Whew. Man, whoever, whoever did this... Okay, do you remember the Scream movies? Mm -hmm. You remember how when the killer would start to lose his grip, he would just start stabbing and going nuts? Uh -huh. That's what this sounds like. Yeah, He's I, hitting the walls and stuff. Mm -hmm. I mean, you got four people you're trying to subdue. It makes you wonder you know? if the knife marks on the wall weren't used as intimidation. They could be, yeah. They could be. And see, like, in this particular case, when it does talk about a bloody footprint, I wonder if it was, like, one of those, like, You've seen the movies where it's like a real defined footprint where mm -hmm. you can actually see the tread in the boot or shoe. And they'll lay like a little foam thing down and capture like, it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I wonder if it was one of those. And But again, forensics in 1981 are not as they are in 2019. And not even just forensics. It was a tiny town with 60-something mm -hmm. people. They probably didn't have that resource of anything. It's a good possibility it was. It's wasn't. probably two cops and a patrol car. That's all they had. Well, I mean, in, in the Plumas County uh, Sheriff's Office was the one actually conducting the investigation. Oh, okay. So this is a sheriff's whole department. It's bigger. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, it's not, we're not talking like, like 
like Edinburgh PD, you know, you, where you it's also like wonder though, because you know, when it was called in, it was probably the small town cops that came first. Mm -hmm. They probably came in and muddied it up a little bit, stomped around here, touched this. It's a good possibility. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, it, like, so there's a lot of evidence that that I mean makes it sound like it was like very chaotic scene and very almost like it was wasn't very well planned out uh, past the tying up. Right. Now, here's some good news. I mean, take a deep breath because that got really heavy. But the next, when they found the bodies mm -hmm. that morning, was it the three boys? The three boys in the other room were left undisturbed. They were fine. Yep, they were completely unharmed. Whew. So, yeah, think about that. So, either the attackers didn't know they were there or they wanted to leave them alone because they hadn't witnessed anything. Yeah. So, that could be it. Yeah. yeah. So, I'm, I mean, Tina might have walked out and heard, she heard a scream and walked out, and then it's, oh, you saw too much. Yep. You know? So that's a very good possibility. <clears throat> so then it makes you think, okay, then Tina probably knew who the attackers were. Yeah. Or could ID them. Yeah, could ID them. Yeah. So while the brutal attacks inside Kevin and 28 were going on, Sue's sons, Ricky and Greg, and their friend Justin Eason were sleeping undisturbed in the boys' bedroom. And the boys were found unharmed, as we mentioned, in the room following the morning after the murders. If there's any good news in this thing, that's the little bit of good news there is. Yeah, because, I mean, think about it. This cabin could have got a whole lot blown. Yeah. Right? So a woman and her boyfriend, who were in the cabin next door to the Sharps, were woken up at around 1.30 a.m. or so by what they described as muffled screaming. The sound was so disturbing that the couple got up and looked around. And when they were unable to determine where the screams were actually coming from... They decided that it was time to go back I to bed. I got an idea, Casey. If you wake up and hear, <laughs> call the cops, dude. See, and this is where like the cops even were asking questions because it seems impossible that the screams woke the neighbors but didn't wake up the boys in the next room. Right. Right? So then, as it says here in our notes, that it was perplexing as to why the killers chose not to harm the boys when any of them could have been pretending to be asleep and later identified the perpetrators. So, I mean... So again, either the attackers had no idea that the boys were in the other room. That's kind of what I'm leaning towards. Right. Because yeah. if they knew, because obviously they took Tina. Yeah. So if they knew that the boys were in the other room and could simply be pretending to be asleep because they obviously are hearing some kind of commotion. Yeah. Right. So why wouldn't they go in there and, and they might take have them just all out? Got in a hurry to take Tina and then left, you know, Maybe. and then the boys are fine. Yeah. So. And see, that was the other point. Is like, okay, so let's see, you're, you're the neighbors, and you're hearing all kinds of screaming and commotion going on, and you're like, I don't have no idea where it's coming from. Yeah. I mean, even if you can't identify where it's coming from, and you hear disturbing screams. Call like, the cops anyway. <laughs> right. What, it's like, well, we can't identify the source, so it's no big deal. Because even if the cops showed up on the street, that might deter them enough to get out of there. You know? Yeah, because, I mean, because then they can hear the screaming too, right? And you right. hear signs, woo, woo. You know, it, it's going to exactly. make people run. So it's a very bizarre um, part of the story. I mean, it could be that maybe they, they didn't want to sound like they were slept through it, or, or maybe they're like, you know, want to seem like at least good enough citizens to go, yeah, we heard something. Maybe they were in on it, Casey. Maybe. Who maybe. knows? Yeah, because, I mean, there's no way of telling. They, no they, way to tell them. They it's definitely, a small town, too. Yeah, because yeah, they definitely didn't seem like the cops gave them any uh, second mind. A small town has secrets, man, and they keep their secrets. That's true. They stick together. <laughs> That's very true. So so we have a possible break in the case, Noah. Mm -hmm. The Plumas County Sheriff's Office questioned anyone who could have heard or witnessed something that could have solved the case. And among those that they interviewed were the Sharps' neighbor, Justin Easton's stepfather, 
Martin Smart. Now, here we are, Martin Smart again, coming up into the conversation. And what he told investigators made him a prime suspect in the crime. And he would stay a prime suspect for many, many years. So according to Smart, on the night of the murders, a friend by, of his by the name of Severin John, quote-unquote, Bo Boobity, was staying with the Smarts on temporary what basis. What kind of a name is that? <laughs> Looks French. I don't God. know. I'm not even 100% sure I even pronounced it right. Severin? Severin. That sounds like a murder's name. He like, did it. Sounds like Slytherin. He did it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just severing heads, man. <laughs> Severin John. And then, like, what's weird is, like, Bobity. So, you have B-O-U-B-E-D-E. So, yeah. if anyone knows actually how to pronounce that, then uh, by all means. Boobaday. Boobaday. Maybe. I don't know. He's got a weird name. Boobity. Bobady. Glad he went by Bo. <laughs> yeah, he went by Bo. So we'll simplify it and we'll call him Bo. Um, so he and Bo met for a few weeks earlier at the VA hospital where they both were seeing treatment for PTSD. It's Mark claimed to suffer from PTSD as a result of his time fighting in Vietnam. He went on to say that earlier in the evening of April 11th, he and his wife, Marilyn and Boobaday, or Bo, decided to go to the backdoor bar for a few drinks. Boobaday in the backdoor. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I have no comment on that at all. <laughs> oh, like, I can't even. Oh. Like, I don't even know where to start. There's just too many jokes there. And I'm, you know, not that this is a family show, but we'll keep this as PG as we can. Gosh. that's just, Wow. All right. So it turns out that Smar actually worked as a chef at the backdoor bar. It was his night off. And on the way to the bar, a group stopped in on Sue Sharp and asked her if she wanted to join them for drinks, and Sue told them no. So they left for the bar. So apparently this is a very popular spot and probably one of the only yeah. spots, you know, I don't know. It seems like a resort town type it's of like thing. It's like the Wits Inn of uh, Ketty, California. Yeah, could be. Right? Could be. So they left, and, and uh, at the bar... Martin Smart complained angrily to the manager about the music that was playing. They left shortly afterward and went back to the Smart's cabin, and Marilyn watched television, then went to bed. So Marilyn's in bed, Martin's up, and Smart, still angry about the music, called the manager and complained again. What? Yeah. How are you this angry about music at a bar? I'm guessing someone's pretty drunk. I guess. And so could you imagine, like, you're, you're at the bar and you're angry about the music for whatever reason, so you leave the bar, you go home, and you're sitting there, your wife's in bed, you're still sitting there drunk as a skunk, and you're still so mad about the music, you're calling the manager to complain again, and you know, the manager's like, they, they're playing this song called Bohemian Rhapsody, and <laughs> it's like, dude, it's music. Yeah, could you Chill imagine, out. like, because even, like, he's not even, like, able, like, he's not even there anymore to listen to this music anymore, and he's still He's so still mad. thinking about so it. So the manager's probably busy, it's like, you know, I mean, obviously there's a lot of people going to the bar that night, so he's probably busy trying to take care of the bar, probably, you know, you know, making sure everybody's having a good time, you know, keeping the, you know, keeping the food coming and all that stuff, and someone's calling, hey man, I was there, and your music sucks, you I'm know? Gonna, I'm gonna put this, I'm gonna throw this in here, and I'll, you know, it might make sense, it might not. From what I'm seeing from this, this man might hold a grudge or two. He might be good at holding grudges. Yeah, he yeah he seems like he and yeah he seems like he's a, not a very happy individual. Do murderers typically hold grudges? Uh, some. They, yeah. they say that a lot of yeah. that, like a lot of homicides are crimes of passion. Exactly. So, so that kind of makes him a suspect, in my opinion. Oh yeah. So let's see. So, yeah, he's still mad about the music and calls and complains. And he and Bo then went back to the bar for more drinks. 
So now he's complained <laughs> twice, one at the bar, one at home, and him and Bo are both bored enough. They decide to go back to the place. They just left angrily. because It's the probably the sucked. only bar in Keddy. Could be. You know? Yeah, I mean, small I, place. I can't imagine too many bars being in a population of 60. When I hear of Keddy, I don't know if you're a fan or not, but I think of the town Twin Peaks from the show. Mm-hmm. Just a small logging town. That's exactly what I think of. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, it could be like one of those, like just one of those communities with like the big dark It's a little logging and, town, you yep. know? So, what happened next? Well, they had their prime suspect. With all that information, Plumas County Sheriff contacted the Department of Justice in Sacramento. TDOJ investigators, they come out. Harry Bradley and P.A. Krim conducted additional interviews on Martin and Marilyn Smart and Bo. During the interview Marilyn, with Marilyn, she told investigators that she and Martin separated the day after the murders. Kind of weird, hmm. kind of coincidental. And that actually feeds some more of the story as we get... He, cut. like, told me that he killed this family, and I'm, like, so not attracted to that, <laughs> so I left him. <laughs> oh, he did. Right, yeah. Huh. Right, so weird, right? <laughs> I mean, to me, I mean, if I was an investigator, and I'm like, they already have a hunch about this dude, and they're like, oh, yeah, well, we... Uh, you know, after everything kind of happened, we decided to split up. Yeah. What? So, uh, so she said that he was short-tempered, violent, and abusive, which are actually all indicators for PTSD. This guy sounds like a great guy, man. Sounds so awesome. So they conduct, they, so they, they finished up their interviews with the smarts and Bo and were completed with Martin or like, were completed, and then they decided that Martin should be polygraphed, right? Okay. So, so they take Martin, they polygraph him, and he passes with flying colors. Passes. Right? So since he passed the polygraph, at that point, they decide they're not going to really give Martin Smart any more trouble at that point. I wonder if it was like an actual polygraph machine, or if it was just somebody sitting there, look at me in the eye and tell me a lie. <laughs> right. He's telling the truth. Yeah, the mentalist. Right. Like, yeah, so he passes the polygraph. So they're like, oh, well, he passed the polygraph. He must be good. So, so they decide that they're not, that the smarts are not involved with the murders. But Marilyn Smart was interviewed again in a later date, and she told investigators that Martin Smart hated John Sharp with a passion. Now, John Sharp was the son of Sue. Okay, mm. so the mother. So John Sharp, he hates, he hates Johnny Sharp. He's the one, he's the one that died. Yeah, he was yeah. the one that was uh, stabbed in the chest and right. throat was slashed. Okay. And had his, he was uh, the most vicious out of all of them. Yeah. So that makes sense that he was the most hated. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense, yeah. She also admitted that early in the morning of April 12, she saw Martin burning something in the fireplace. How this, old was John again? Do you John remember? Sharp. Yeah, how old was he? I think if I remember, let's see, John Sharp was, let's see, John was 15. Okay, so it's not what I was thinking. I was thinking maybe he boinked her or something, but boinked Marilyn, you know? Maybe. That, but he's 15. too young. No, yeah. no. Well, this is the 80, early 80s, but. Yeah. Got some like. I don't uh, know. Like the graduate going on. Maybe? It could be. But we'll find. Uh, but for a man to hate a kid like that. Yeah, a 15-year-old boy, like... I can't imagine, like... I mean, I don't know what would... Like, why he would hate a 15-year-old why? boy so much. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. So, Justin Easton. So, he's the son, right? Well, mm-hmm. he's the son of Martin and Marilyn Smart. Well, the stepson or whatever. But he's also the friend of 
one of the sharp boys, yeah. sharp kids. So as time went on, Justin began to change his story. He had told the investigators that he was asleep during the murders, as were the other two boys, and that he didn't hear anything that happened the night of the murders. But in a later interview, he described a detailed dream he had where he was on a boat and saw John Sharp and Dana fighting with a man with long black hair, a mustache, and black sunglasses who was carrying a hammer. The man threw John overboard, and then Dana, who, who he said was very drunk. So isn't that odd? Like, so maybe since Justin was such uh, so close to the to the smarts, right? Right. So it could be maybe he knew more than he thought because maybe he had heard Marilyn talk about it. Maybe he heard Martin talk about it. Yeah. Uh, hard telling. And the man was very drunk, so obviously Martin likes to drink. We know that from right. the night of the eleventh, him going in and out of that bar. Um, Turn that Prince music off. <laughs> Was Prince around in 81? Yeah. Was he? Oh. Pretty sure. You're I don't right. know. I don't know. Prince is timeless, dude. <laughs> he, he dated himself. He's still around. That's right. He's like... In our hearts. He's like, yep, Elvis. Right. Exactly. So he went on to describe seeing a body that was covered in a sheet lying on the bow. Hmm. He looked under the sheet and saw Sue. He had a knife cut in her chest. He tried to help her by patching the wound with a rag, but she ended up throwing into the water. In reality, Sue Sharp did have a knife wound in her chest. So maybe we have another paranormal element here. It sounds like it. So maybe Justin had one of the, like he was... Uh, He's got the shining. Sensitive enough to uh, have this stuff psychically... He's got the shining. He's got the shining. That's what that is. What right? is it? The Simpsons called it the shining? I think so. Or something mm-hmm. like that. It's something silly. The shining, it's where you can kind of, t- kind of, not telepathically, but... See stuff as it happened before it happens, right. kind of thing. Could be. I mean, so yeah, so, but it is odd that at one point he has no knowledge that the murders happened or who did it. Yeah. Right? He was asleep during the whole thing. And then later on, he's like, well, I had this dream. Yeah. And what's odd is he knows these details. So it's either, I have a couple theories on this. So either A, he knows a lot because maybe he heard Marilyn and Martin talking, right? Mm hmm. Or maybe he knew about it because maybe Martin told him straight up and just wanted to protect his stepfather or whatever. Or right. maybe or maybe there was a paranormal connection to it or a supernatural connection to it. I know this, and I know this is common. Sometimes I'll have a dream and I'll forget about it the next morning. Mm-hmm. And then something will happen. And it triggers the memory. And, it, and I'm like, oh, I dreamed about that. Yeah. So that could be what he's going through. Kind of like a psychic connection to the event. Right, yeah. It could be. It could be. It's hard telling. Or just a coincidence. It could be a coincidence. Could we? Could be. Well, and I don't know. Some people don't believe in coincidences. No well, way. I think with a murder like this, there's definitely coincidences, I the think. The Shining. The Shining. The Shining. <laughs> <laughs> so another time while being polygraphed, Eason told the uh, polygrapher, that he thought that he saw the murders. So now we have three different stories for the same event. I so, remember this part when I first heard about this. Okay, so so he doesn't <sighs> he doesn't know it. Okay, so he doesn't know anything about the murders, then he dreams it, and now he saw everything. I'm telling you, he's a kid though. Trauma. We know how affecting trauma is to the to the not only the kid's mind, but adult's mind. Mm-hmm. He, if he witnessed something, it might have been so violent and disturbing that it just shut it off. But is it possible that maybe the reason why, as time went on, his story changed was now 
since his mom, uh, you know, his uh, step parents or whatever they were, were divorced or mm-hmm. separated. And as we find out years down the road, I, I can't remember exactly what year it was that his, uh, that Martin Smart had passed on. Now he was going to tell the truth. Yeah. Because now he can implicate. He was scared. His, it could be he was scared. Martin Smart sounds like a bully. Oh, he sounds like he yeah. probably bullied him. It could be. You it know? sounds like he definitely. If you had, tell them what I did, I'm going to send you there too. It could be. That happens a lot. So. Or it could be that Martin didn't even know that Justin knew. Yeah. Right. And Justin was just scared he'd find out that he told on yeah, him. Yeah. So right? now he's got this big, deep, dark secret. Right. Yeah. So he tells the. So he says a noise had woke him up, and he got up and looked through the door in the living room. He said he saw Sue Sharp laying on the sofa, and that were two men standing in the middle of the room. He described the men, one with black and dark glasses, and the other with brown hair and wearing army boots. So, Martin Smart was in the army. Yep, and apparently so was Bo. He was at the VA hospital as well. Yeah. Now, whether he was in the army now, or not. Now, this, so. this is a logging town in the mountains. People wear army boots. Yeah. You don't know if they were army, you know, uh, service boots or if you just went to the surplus store and got them. But it's a good, it's a good hint. No, we get. You know, he actually gives a lot more details in this interview than he does in any other, mm-hmm. because he says that John Sharp and Dana came to the room and began arguing with two men. So they get into this big old scuffle. A fight breaks out. Dana tried to escape out through the kitchen, but a man with the man with the brown hair hit Dana with a hammer. John was being attacked by the man with the brown hair, and Sue tried to help John. Now, Justice said at this point he hid behind the door. He then saw the men tying up John and Dana. He also claimed that he saw Tina come in the living room holding a blanket and asking what was going on. The two men grabbed her and took her out of the back door as Tina tried to call for help. He said that the man with the black hair used a pocket knife to cut Sue in the middle of her chest. Justin worked with a sketch artist that came up with the composites of the two men. Now, I saw the composite photographs um, on yeah, Wikipedia I saw them too. Um, of the two men. And I will say, it looks like something straight off in Saw Mysteries. It does. Like, just the creepiest, like, most, like, disturbing composite. I think composite sketches are creepy anyway. They are, yeah. Because um, it's just very faint details of what you remember. Yeah, it's almost like, like, if you can, like, it's like if you has a, like if you were to have a dream of people and then you were to wake up and say you were yourself or an artist and right. sketch these people's faces that you have yeah. in your dream state, that's what these faces look like. Because you always creepy. remember the most um, distinguished features of somebody and you exaggerate them when you tell the sketcher. Mm-hmm. So that's what they're focusing yep. on. And they're just always the most disturbing pieces of information. You're just like, man, now, these faces are creepy. I'm going to tell you why his, this testimony here makes sense to me. Because it's so detailed. It's so laid out in a time space of what happened and exactly what happened. This isn't just the ramblings of somebody. See, well, what's odd to me, and here's what, and, and at the time, Justin was 12. So it could be that maybe Justin wasn't thinking straight, uh-huh. as 12-year-olds typically do, especially when they're bound by fear. Right. Is that if Justin had just told the investigators, hey, Martin and Bo committed these murders... Martin and Bo would have been gone. But when you're a kid... You don't think about that. You think that he could come back and get you. If I was a kid and my dad did something bad and told me, listen, if you tell them daddy's going to go to jail for a long time and you're never, you're going to lose your mommy, you're going to be alone, I wouldn't tell on him. Yeah. You're a kid, (laughs) right? 
Yeah, I guess. I mean, and then yeah. later on in life, I'd say, you know what? Daddy was a jerk. I'm telling on him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's sitting there going, you know, maybe it's time for Martin to serve, to do his time. It's time for Martin to... It's the same way... <clears throat> I, this is dark, so whatever, but it's the same way that pedophiles gain control. Yep. They threaten you and make you think of the worst case scenario if you tell on them. Yeah. And that's probably what he did here. It could be very... I mean, it could be possible. <clears throat> I don't see why not. Yeah. So you have this, this great amount of detail that comes out from Justin Eason later on. Now, it doesn't say how far along it was that he gave this information. But what we do know is that a former neighbor on June 4th of the same year, 1981, uh, and told Bradley and Krim that he lived in cabin 28 but moved two weeks before the murders. He said he did not know the Sharps, but that three weeks before the murders, he heard Sue Sharp and an unknown man yelling at each other. They continued to fight for another 30 minutes, screaming obscenities back and forth. And then DOJ investigators get a slap from the locals, they say. When the details of the interviews that Bradley and Kremen conducted with Martin and Smart and Bo came to light, that the Plumas County authorities were livid. Now... Here's part of the reason, too, that a lot of people seem to believe that the sheriff and uh, Martin Smart were in cahoots. Because why, if you had the D, you you brought the DOJ in, you called them to help conduct uh, the interviews yeah. and the investigation. Now you're getting all this information that's starting to lead to Martin Smart and Bo. Yeah. Right? And now all of a sudden you're mad. You're livid. Oh, man, I can't believe you. So... Bradley and Kramer were accused of sloppy work and failing to fact-check or pursue clarification for obvious discrepancies made by Smart and Bo. During the initial interview with Kram, Bo said that he had worked as a Chicago police officer for 18 years, but retired after being shot while in the line of duty. This was an obvious lie, which could have quickly been spotted had Kram had paid attention to Bo's date of birth. So maybe they were a little sloppy. Bo lied about how long he had lived in Keddie by adding two weeks to the time. He said Marilyn was his niece, which was a lie. That's just another thing, too. Records, they had paper records, and they were no department was connected to other departments. Nowadays, if I went into the police department, I used to be a sheriff's deputy back in... They'd be like, no, you weren't. Yeah, because... Immediately search it. You know, you got to think back in the 70s and 80s, the only two uh, fact-checked Bo's claims is you would have to get on the phone with a Chicago yeah. PD... To their admin, which the DOJ would have birth had, certificate. yeah, which the DOJ would have had uh, proof of, yeah, right, or the number of. They could say, okay, we'll call Chicago PD right now and get a hold of the admin department. and Go, hey, we're checking on uh, Severin Bobaday. <laughs> okay, was he in eight? Was he in law enforcement for eighteen years with you? Um, but again, they said they could have checked with by just his date of birth using a birth certificate, yeah. which would have been available at the Department of Health. He's too dumb to even do math correctly. Yes. Evidently, uh, this crim who was with the DOJ, which, by the way, we're talking historically, the Department of Justice is not necessarily always that good at their job. No. Okay, so we'll say that, but we're not saying now, that are they Now, are they pretty agents. much the FBI? The Department of Justice is its separate department. Okay. I mean, they... So they're not... In relation to the FBI. Yeah, they're they're part of the alphabet soup agencies, but they're not uh, within the same. They work together, but they're not the, one and the same. I've seen cases less horrific than this that had the FBI working on it. Well, apparently, I guess later on the FBI will work on this case, but it'll be later on doing another After part. everything's already muddled and messed up. And, years, yeah. and we're talking years later. Yeah. 
So what we also find out is that he claimed Marilyn was awake when he and Smart came home after their second trip to the bar. And had anyone been paying attention, they would have caught that it would contradict what Marilyn said, which we know that Marilyn earlier had said that she was asleep. Uh, I think uh, she went to bed before two. Yeah. So if these two DOJ agents had looked at both notes, they could say, well, someone's lying. Um, we're going to figure out who it is. So it could be, that, okay, the DOJ sends these two agents out to go help out this county office and they really don't want to be out there. They so get paid by the hour. It's yeah, like, I mean, these are salary dudes. They really don't care. They're going to go out here. They're going to help these, you know, podunk, you know. Hick, Hicks in the middle of Redwood, California. Yeah. Okay. You, know, you here, know, here's what we found. Do with it what you will. Yeah. Okay, here you go. So. By the way, Keddy, I looked at images of it. Beautiful place. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just thick forest and redwoods. And oh, yeah. It's beautiful. Oh, yeah. It's unfortunate. <laughs> yeah, it is, really. So yeah. now you get this dark, dark right. history Big associated with a gorgeous place, which happens sometimes, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. So Bo said he had never met Sue, which contrary to what Marilyn said about the three of them stopping at the Sharp House and inviting her for a drink. Bradley and Krampf showed a similar lack of energy when interviewing Martin Smart. In one interview, Smart said that his stepson, Justin, might have seen something on the night of the murders, adding, without me detecting him at the end of the sentence. Without me detecting him. Bum, bum, bum. Okay. Very weird choice of words there, buddy. Isn't that odd? And then could you imagine, could you imagine being these professional federal agents who have tons of training at this time? They're the top of the, like, like they are the cream of the crop when yeah. it comes to law enforcement agencies, right? Yeah. You're, you're trained to spot like body language and uh, voice changes like pitch and tone inconsistencies and inconsistencies yeah. in language and then certain choices of words and you have this man who's a who is a prime suspect and he literally says without me detecting him I saw him saw me kill my wife or, well, <laughs> wait what wife's friend <laughs> well yeah yeah so here you literally have him saying, yeah, he managed to see the whole thing without me detecting him. That is, time. And you're like, wait, what? My whole thought was like, uh, what did you just say? Oh, my gosh. If I, I couldn't imagine being an agent and standing there at the door with Martin Smart. And he was like, yeah, without me. Yeah, he was able to see all kinds of stuff without me detecting him. This, this my, I can imagine my eyebrows going up like, what? Every sentence you read, I am just going deeper and deeper into cover up. Oh, yeah. I'm definitely thinking it's a cover-up. Well, with the DOJ, it just looks like it's sloppy. And then what we find out yeah. is that the at that time in 81, the Plumas County Sheriff, the actual sheriff, was really good friends with Martin Smart. Matter of fact, yeah. he even says they actually lived together for a short while. So you have the actual sheriff who's good buddies with old Martin Smart, and then you've got these DOJ agents who apparently – don't give a crap about what's going on. It, it could either be laziness people. or the cops there leaned on the DOJ. If the DOJ shows up, you can see the sheriff. Listen, we got this. Just interview them. Go get some lunch. Get out of town. Just uh, say you did it. And then, you know? and then they can blame it on the DOJ for right. sloppy work. Yeah, that's yeah. possible. Yeah, exactly. That's or, very possible. Or the DOJ came and they didn't find anything. So then you can still blame it on the you DOJ. Can still, yeah. Yep. So, yeah, without me detecting, like, that whole phrase right there just blows my mind. I know. Just, How stupid are you, Martin? So, you know, like, earlier, before he's we He's dead ever, now, right? Yeah, he's I dead. hope he's dead. This guy so, sounds... So, 
you know how like you know I hadn't actually read this page yet. This is the first time I actually had seen this particular page. Mm-hmm. And I told you before we hit record, I thought it was Martin Smart. Yeah, that pretty much puts the nail in the coffin for me. It, I am like, this, I because at this point, because see the thing of it is, is that you know that timeline or that time frame of like, okay, you can only be tried uh, for certain crimes or be implicated or whatever. Right. Okay, a statute of limitations. Yeah. There is none on murder. So what's it called? Double indemnity or something like that? Double jeopardy. Double so jeopardy. For, yeah. You can't be tried for the same crime twice. Yeah. So, but that's not what happened here. He was interviewed several times under polygraph and other things. He so was never tried. He was never tried. So he could have any time throughout his life could have been actually been, hey, you know what? We looked over the DOJ records. We looked over Plumas County records. We were able to kind of look, okay, look at the discrepancies. And we we're finally going to say, you know what? You're under arrest. I bet you what happened was this was thrown into a file box, thrown into a cabinet. Nobody ever bothered looking back into it because it's like, well, they didn't find anything. Let's move on. Yeah. That's probably what happened. So the investigators either missed the implication and in in smart slip or they just weren't listening at all to what he was saying. They're just like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I don't know about you, but if somebody said that to me, I would prick up a little bit. Like, yeah, what do you mean? Yeah, even if you weren't like fully listening and you're just like, okay, he's droning on and all of a sudden he's like, without me detecting, you're like, wait, what? I'm listening yeah. now. What did you just say? Why would that even leave your mouth? <laughs> right. So Smart talked to the investigators about the hammers that were used in the murder, and he had recently lost his own hammer. And there were no follow-up interviews with Smart or both since the investigator believed that the pair had no involvement in murders. I lost my hammer. Have you seen my hammer? Yeah. It's a nice hammer. It's nice. I lost it's really it. Nice. Oh, my gosh. Like, to me, like, this, like, it just seems like, to me, there are so many, like, massively missed opportunities Last time I saw my hammer, I was hitting through with it. Right. I don't know where it went, though, after that. <laughs> like it just, God. Like, it just, to me, like, this is, like, honestly, this is, like, Keystone Cops that they were investigating, yeah. like, a national. It is. Like, like a national, like, news thing. You know what I mean? Like, they, they, I, I can't even manage to wrap my head around, like, just in the, these notes alone, just in these notes alone, I'm sitting there, like, how, like, how I'm not a forensic scientist, and I'm not a cop, but I could do a better job. Oh, yeah. Well, the, the sheriff, one of the sheriffs that would later serve for Plumas County would go on to quote that a recruit right out of the academy would have conducted a better yeah. uh, investigation. It's just common it. sense. There's just so much that was missed here. Like, this is just so It's like they're, they, they don't want to prosecute anybody. It's I, like they're intentionally trying not to. Yeah, I mean, this is just nuts. So... No longer a prime suspect, Martin Smart moved to Klamath, California. Bo returned to Chicago where he scammed several police officers out of money, <laughs> but was caught and almost did prison time, but died before being incarcerated. So, you know, good for him. He's now, did, dead. Now, you think that Bo was the second man? Bo was definitely the second man. They seem like they're best buds, don't they? Yeah. There's, yeah. I mean, because, okay, so Jason Eason, or Justin Eason, we can pretty much surmise that Justin saw something. Yeah. Okay, Justin saw something. He definitely saw something. Or knew of something. Yeah. Because his the details he gave were very concise. They were very detailed. They were very they go right along with everything yep. that would have presented with if you were an investigator, if you were a detective and you show up on scene, 
the things that this boy was saying yeah. lines up with everything you find physically. Marilyn had to see something too, or know something. Well, again, she said that she saw um, Martin and Bo burning something in a fire that she couldn't identify. And she left him the day after. Which I think she suspected of him and was like, you know what? I got to go. Or she walked out to the fire pit and sees a ragged shirt that belongs to a 12-year-old girl or whatever, yep. you know? Yep. Why are so, you burning that, Martin? <laughs> so, I mean, there's just, there's just, to me, I think Marilyn knew something. Anyway, and we'll actually go over something, another piece of evidence that was found but never submitted in evidence that would almost, with, even if nothing else, implicates uh, Martin Smart. Well, he well. might have, I mean, the reason that she didn't say anything, he might have had her under that influence of fear, too. Listen, you can, you can leave me, but you will not tell on me. Yep. Right? Could be. So, in 1984... <clears throat> And this is where we get to Tina. So Tina's been missing for three years. So in 1984, and we talked about this earlier in the episode. Yeah. But we'll get to. But we're going to talk more about the detail of it. So in 1984, the cranium part of a skull was found about 30 miles from Ketty. Several months later, an anonymous caller told the Boot County Sheriff's Office that the skull belonged to Tina Sharp. Now they never been able to find out who that caller was. Another search. What? Of the air, yeah. Yep. This so, just gets weirder and weirder. So, yeah, so in 84, you know, you get a caller. Hey, by the way, we know you found this skull. It's in the news. I want you to know that this is Tina Sharp. That had skull. to be Martin or, or... Martin or Bo. It had to be. Right? So, or someone else that knew that these murders were committed. Yeah. And we'll actually... And I'll talk to more about... Uh, the chances, though, of some random caller just knowing that that skull was found and that it belongs to Tina are astronomical. Right. So another search of the area was made, and a jawbone and several other bones were found. This almost sounds like Fox Hollow Farm. Right, right again, really. it does. So testing confirmed that the bones belonged to none other than Tina Sharp. The Boot County Sheriff's Office gave the original and backup copy of the recording for the anonymous caller to someone in law enforcement. And since then, both the original and the backup copies have disappeared. And that just mind boggling. Oh. So you have someone... That could, that you, okay, so the boot, so county, so Butte County Sheriff's probably gave it back to gave the copy in the original. Which, if I was the sheriff's office, I would have probably made more copies. Yeah. Um, and and they gave the original and the backup probably back to Plumas County Sheriff's Office. Okay. So here you go. You guys can listen to the voice. Right. And see if you I, can I, you know you guys probably know who he sounds like. Yeah. Or might be. So here you go. Take a listen. Or at least listen to speech patterns and and study his other the other yep. suspects with but it. But then all of a sudden, poof, gone, disappears from record. It no can't no one can find it. We don't know where it's. Has at. there ever been a case that made you so frustrated, dude? There, <laughs> Do you did you remember? I don't know if you saw it was on Netflix. They were talking about that girl that was abducted by like the neighbor and they went to Mexico and like she was like she was in belief that oh, like, they were married. Yeah, and, the child molester and her dad was yeah. Yeah, there was a lot of stuff there. Yeah. That whole documentary was I'm sitting there complete yeah. just dumb like I was. It was called like I, something my neighbor or yeah, something or, like that. And I'm like looking at my wife and I'm like, are these people stupid? Right. Are these people like Slow. It's influence, man. Because I mean, could you imagine, like, I, 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 you let this happen. You knew it was happening. Right. You let it happen because, well, we don't want to start any problems. 
It's it's that charisma. I shot him in the face. It's the charisma and the manipulation that these people use. I guess, but pedophiles are the worst at it. They know what to say, I right? Would have, I would have shot this dude in the face. Hey, I, by the way, I did. I touched your daughter. Yeah. Well, hold on. I'm gonna go grab my 12 gauge out of the closet. I'd stream out on the tree, dude. Yeah. You're like you're yeah. toast, man. But anyway, so like this is one of those cases that leaves you going, what? <sighs> What? There's 60 people in this town, okay? 60. And Martin Smart has implicated himself so many yeah, times. Four or five times. He should have been arrested immediately. Right. It just it bo it boggles the mind. And not even just implicated himself. The situations he's been in it's surrounding the murder are not coincidence, but This man. guy was not. I mean, he might have been a bully no. and obviously brutal. Right. But he wasn't smart. Yeah. Right. Unlike it's like he's just Mr. Magooing his way through this, <laughs> and somehow, right? And somehow totally escapes prison. It's crazy. So although this is all okay, so we're going to finish this up, and then I'm going to let you all know what we're. Thank what my God that Martin Smart died in 2000. Yeah, he died in okay. 2000. So this guy lives, what, 30 years after the fact, right. 29 years after the fact. So, okay, so, oh, it does. Okay, thank God. because I'm going to let you finish this part oh, off. because This, this is, is nuts to me. Yeah. So Martin Smart dies in 2000. Shortly after his death, the counselor, her therapist, uh, told the Plumas County Sheriff's Office that Smart had confessed to him that he killed Sue Sharp because she was trying to convince Marilyn to leave him. Smart never mentioned who killed John Dana or Tina. He also told the therapist that it was easy to beat the polygraph and that he and Plumas County Sheriff Doug Thomas were friends, and one time he let Thomas move in with him. Oh my gosh. So go ahead and finish the next one. We'll oh talk about gosh. it all. So March 24, 2016, a hammer was found that matches the description of the hammer that Martin Smart claimed was missing two days after the murders. And according to Plymouth County Sheriff Hagwood, the location was found. It would have been intentionally put there. It would not have been accidentally misplaced. Yep. So he ditched the murder weapon. That finishes our official notes. Okay. So there's something, another piece of evidence that I think we might've vaguely talked about that I remember to put down in my personal notes and, okay, so the sheriff, one of the later sheriffs at Plumas County that said the predecessor conducted a very poor investigation of the murder and mm -hmm. a recruit fresh out of the academy would have done a better job was a guy by the name of, like, Gamberg, okay? And uh, so there was another piece of evidence that was not in these notes, but I did find, was that there was a letter written from Martin to Marilyn saying that he paid the price for her love and that yes. he bought it with the cost of four lives. Yeah, that he was bought it at the cost of four lives. I remember seeing that. And that letter was overlooked by investigators and never placed in evidence. So here is literally another piece of evidence that implicates, without a doubt, that Martin was responsible for the deaths of these four yeah. people. And they were like, I remember eh. the cops just seeing something where the cops were just like, well, it's a letter between a man and his wife, and he's just expressing his love, just like. I'm like, who would say that? <laughs> right. <It's> just, <laughs> who? I wanted to go Facebook Live record as well as our episode record that this might be a, an official unsolved murder, but it's only because the law enforcement that conducted this investigation were so stupid yeah. or complicit yeah. themselves that... It wasn't going to get solved And anyway. both of these men died before their... I'm sure now, 20 years after they died, they'd be in prison. 
I'm oh, sure yeah. now, because the attention that this case has drawn to itself. Huh. They died in, what, 2000 and before that. Uh, Bo died in 88. Yeah. And... 2000 was smart. Yeah, and smart died So in this is before this case. The internet was not as popular. Yeah, there's you know? actually a Netflix special that kind of talks about the Kitty Cabin murders. Mm-hmm. And I don't have the names written down of them. But there's a lot of extra documentaries that talk about this, and there's a lot of movies that have uh, used it as inspiration. Yeah. Uh, if like I had, strangers was one. If I had written a letter to my wife saying that I paid for our love with four lives, the you know, immediately after or before a murder in my hometown, of which I am one of sixty residents, I think I should be a suspect, man. Yeah. Dude, it just enrages me. I can't believe like I like four lives, dude. Yeah, I mean and we're talking like teenage lives. I mean, yeah. let's see. An innocent mom and, and three kids. 36-year-old Sue, 15-year-old son John, 17-year-old friend Dana, and then 12-year-old Tina Sharp. So the youngest of the four was 12. Yeah. So you have to think, you, well, how vicious do you have to be that you decide you're going to kill a 12-year-old little girl? It sounds like he just got drunk and just him and Bo, hey, I bet you won't do this. Let's do it. Let's try it. Well, it definitely sounds like there was motive. Yeah. I mean, he hates Johnny Sharp for whatever reason. And then you add alcohol and PTSD on top of that. And the fact that apparently Sue tried to talk Marilyn into leaving uh, Martin because he's abusive and he's, uh, you know, angry, you know. And and, and don't get me wrong. I mean, PTSD is a very serious thing. And and, And I would have to say, based on what I've seen and heard and read, I would imagine that PTSD was probably the 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 background for all this yeah like it drove the alcohol use it drove the anger and the abuse and the bullying yeah it because i mean ptsd does affect i understand and i I sympathize with ptsd but there's no reason you should not find help right that's if there comes a point where you decide not to find help that's on you see it makes me wonder like i mean obviously he it says he was going to the va for to uh, find help and i don't think back in the 80s they called it ptsd they didn't believe in it as much but i mean it was like shell shock back then and and you have to understand like it, it at this point in 81 it wasn't something that they treated as well yeah. or as vigorously and i mean we have to think uh, okay vietnam veterans and i know a few personally um who still struggle with that, their time in i conflict. understand i completely understand that but, but the they're same, not out murdering a family of four right I, I, to me it sounds like that maybe this guy could have been a bully even before his time in service yeah i mean we don't know much about his pre-war background or even like how he conducted himself while he was in the military. Um, I feel like the PTSD is a cop out for him because it takes a certain mental state to be able to brutalize people in that fashion. And I don't think PTSD is the cause of this. It could be a factor. And I think it's definitely a factor. And I, yeah. uh, but I mean, to, but he definitely went to that house intending to harm these people. Yeah, he was sick, man. I mean, he, he was went sick. to this house determined he was going to kill, whether it was just Sue, whether yeah. it was just Johnny, and then all of a sudden, you know, Dana's involved. Maybe he was just going to kill John. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, here's Sue and Dana, and he said, like, well, we got to kill them, and then Tina walks out. Now we got to kill her. And the fact that they took their time and it went on for that long... And you saw the stab walls and the stabs in the wall. It almost seemed like it was an enjoyable thing, you know. Yeah, I mean, and see, here's the thing too. It's obvious in his statement to those DOJ agents. He says that, you know, 
Justin managed to watch the whole thing without his detection. Yeah. Which means Martin found out that Justin knew. And then he probably did threaten, okay, if you tell anybody that I did this, I'll kill you too. Yeah. And, you know, you've obviously I'm capable of killing people. And to a kid, yeah. yeah I've I watched killed, you do it or I saw you do it. Yeah, I've already killed a 12-year-old. Yeah. I'll kill you too. I, I mean, and Justin was 12 at the time of the murders. You know, if I can kill a 12-year-old girl, I'll kill a 12-year-old boy. Yep. You know. So he, I mean, he wasn't his real son, was he? Uh, I, wasn't he Marilyn's son? Let's see. Let's see what our notes say. I believe... His mother and stepfather. So, yes, Marilyn was the biological mom. So he wasn't even his real son then. Nope. So he has no connection. Yeah, he, I mean, obviously he doesn't care. Yeah. So, I mean, he could have looked at Justin and said, if you say anything to anybody, I'll kill you. And I mom. mean, the dude's obviously a psychopath. Yeah. Do you think he's going to love a stepson? Yeah. I mean, and like no. I said, he could have looked at him and said, I'll kill you and your mother. Right. You know, he's obviously abusive to the mom. It's been stated that, you know, he was abusive and, yeah. you know, and, and everything. So it's very possible. That's what kept Justin from saying a word. So I feel like people like this are, he, he went, he had PSD, PTSD, but I feel like he was a psychopath long before that. Mm -hmm. And then that's what happens is they get the PSD and that just adds on top of it. It's the same thing with like Jeffrey Dahmer when he was in the military, he was a psychopath before that. And then he goes to the military and finds out he enjoys killing. Right. Yeah, I mean, it could be one of those things, but I mean, like I said, it's interesting to me uh, to, not interesting, I mean, it is that law enforcement just blows it on this. Yeah. Like, I mean. Do they blow it or just intentionally turn their heads? Because that's what it feels like to me. I think it's I don't both. feel like there's this, I don't feel like a police department has this much incompetency. I don't I mean, think it's possible. I think it's both because let's say if you're like a detective for the sheriff's office mm -hmm. and all this evidence you're compiling is just getting brushed under the rug. Yeah. Like, you know, the, um, the tapes con uh, containing the person who called in and said that the remains were Tina Sharps. You know that that's exists. It just gets lost. It just, yeah, the backup uh, and the original are lost. You yeah. know that. You know, uh, based on the DOJ's own interviews, even though they're they're not. He all saw true. me do it, basically. Yeah. Well, somehow Justin managed to watch the whole thing without my, you know, detecting him. Yeah. What? You know that these things are in existence because mm -hmm. even the Plumas County Sheriff's Office are mad because, well, you blew it because if you, you know, double checked your own notes and saw what this guy said, you would have known. Not to mention the letter, the, the letter. breakup, the kids' testimonies, the three boys that lived. Mm -hmm. Um. Bo's testimony, they all point at, Mar at Martin. Yeah. All of them. Because, I mean, yeah, Bo lied about pretty much everything, but at the same time, I mean, he gets out, he leaves California completely, goes to Chicago. Yeah. And within seven years, he's dead. He sounds like he really had a big part in this. Or I, maybe he was just the friend that tagged along. And I would say that Bo had to have... Bo had to have killed one of them. I don't see Martin individually yeah. killing each one. We know there were two men. Yeah. So it but, had to be them. But Bo was with Martin the night of the murders. Yeah. Because yeah, they went to the bar together. And complained about the music. Yep. Yep. So I mean, it's very possible to, I, I don't see how Mark or how Bo wasn't there with Martin. Yeah. I think he was there. And I think he took part and I think he took an active part. I don't think he was just there and he held Johnny no, down. No, why would you do that? I mean, why would you show up to a murder scene and not do anything? Right. You're going to get incriminated anyway. Yeah, I, I can't see where Bo 
didn't do anything. He had to do something. Yeah. Yeah. At least tie them up or, or something. Yeah, he, he helped. He Stand helped. guard, who knows? Yeah, he helped. There's no way he didn't help. This is a very, very dark case, but it's very mysterious and interesting. I would have to say the more we've talked about this case and the more that I've looked at like our show notes and our, my personal notes and things, other articles I've read, I can't say it's mysterious. Martin did. Well, it. yeah, it's mysterious. It's mysterious on how it didn't happen. It's mis- yeah, how it didn't get solved is yeah. mysterious. Because it's you know? like, yeah, that's the part that's mysterious because then it leads you to go, okay. The motive is, there's no motive. What's the motive? Well, one of the motives they listed is because he was mad that uh, Sue tried to talk Marilyn in leaving. Is that proven though? You know, mm-hmm. is it proven? I don't know. We never, we'll never know. And he also hated John. We know that. He hated John. So maybe those two reasons were enough for him. Yeah. You know, I'll kill John and Sue, you know. Yeah. But it says that they attack Sue. And the point that he hates a 15-year-old boy so much to kill him. See, it does say that, they, that, that Justin said he saw one of the men attack Sue and that John and Dana came in and started fighting with the yeah. two men. And then that's when the big brouhaha started happening. So it could that could be part of it is that they originally targeted Sue, wasn't yeah. intentionally hitting on you know, John and Dana, but when they came into the fray, but they, John had the most vicious out of all of them. He did. His head was pretty much cut off. You know, yeah, he did have the cut. He did have his throat slashed. He was stabbed, but so was Sue. Mm-hmm. Sue had her throat slashed, and she got a rifle butt upside her head. Oh, that's BB right. Yeah. So they were both about the same. Yeah. They, I mean, yeah. it was. I mean, they both received stabbed and slash wounds, and. Uh, John and Dana were attacked with a hammer. Yeah. Uh, and, I mean, Dana, I mean, his death had to have been slow because he was manually strangled. Oh, and the hammers, dude. Yeah. I mean, you take one hit in the head, you're not going to be surviving that. You're going to be a vegetable. Yeah, I mean, you're, you I mean, know. depending on the, 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 the viciousness and the severity of the strike, I mean. Yeah. I mean, I mean you're going to be at least, I mean, in a great amount of pain he was probably already in a coma when he got strangled it's possible we can hope we hope so you know i i don't like to hear of anything like this happening i mean it's it's absolutely the worst possible aspect of humanity Mm -hmm. this is beyond i'm tearing up talking about it because it's just so vile you know just hearing about it makes my skin crawl Yeah, you have to really kind of give yourself like I think in order to really put yourself in the position, you have to visualize it in your head. Yeah. To imagine the struggle that happened and then the, the blows of the hammer, the throat's getting slashed, the stab wounds. Mm-hmm. I mean... And it's kids, man. Yeah, I mean, the three victims, the three younger victims were all under the age of 15. Yeah. Or 15 it's and younger. so messed up. So, I mean, you know... I'm sorry, 17 and younger. Dana was right. 17. So, so 17 younger. These are all teenagers or preteens. I mean, these kids. I mean, they had their whole lives ahead of them. Right. So, I mean, you know, you and hate, then the mom happened to watch that happen. Yeah, it makes you wonder. It makes you wonder who got it first. Like we yeah. know that Sue was already attacked, so it makes you wonder who got the death blows first. Right. Because they don't discuss, okay, who passed on or who got or who died first. Like I said earlier, I mean, that's how disgusting this case is when you have to say you hope the kids died first so the mom didn't have to watch it, right? <laughs> didn't or have to watch Sue them be tortured. First. Yeah, but 
the best scenario for her would be her kids got qu- killed quickly. Yeah. So she didn't have to suffer All right. through it. it does but make we know you that's wonder. not the case. So It does make you wonder. But like I said, the most like the thing that's most frustrating to me is to listen and, well, to hear and read these, um, these facts and knowing that the police departments, whether it be Plumas County and DOJ, they're like so absolutely just either just incompetent incompetent or they're complicit and it's just i see i'm not really feeling like i'm not feeling an incompetence from them i'm feeling it from the doj yeah i'm I'm feeling from the cops though more of just a complaint like you said a complacency or a you know what this is a small town families watch families we don't want to indict one of our own yeah, it, i mean that's kind of what i'm leaning to is like because, I mean, if the sheriff in 1981 and Martin Smart are close friends, it does make sense that he's trying to cover it up. Yeah. But at the same time, and then they're trying to blame the DOJ, which they did mess up their part of the investigation. I'm surprised they didn't use the whole, it was a drifter angle. Yeah. It's the woods in California. People mm. are going through there all the time. And the FBI did help. <clears throat> the FBI, and that's what I found out, too, in my, in my research before we recorded, is that the FBI was, they were the ones that were doing the investigation when they found Tina's remains. Yeah. So they were, the FBI was involved at that point. Too late, though. Yeah, because at that point, now they're just trying to make sure that the remains match those of Tina's. I think today, I, f- I feel like today, God forbid, there was a murder like this in Amity. The FBI would be called probably immediately when you're dealing with three child deaths and not to mention a missing child, which yeah. is automatic FBI involvement. Well, you would, you would at least, you know, you'd have the local authorities involved, county authorities involved, and probably immediately the state police. Well, I know when there's a missing child now, doesn't the FBI immediately get involved? Oh, that I don't know. I don't know I'm what pretty their sure. protocol on that or is. Or they're supporting the state police or something it like could that. could be. Yeah. But... Because of that, the one law, Megan's law or whatever, something like that, that they put into effect. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. I don't, I don't know what their exact protocol is about <clears throat> FBI involvement, but or when the feds become involved. But I know, like, right. if you were to have that type of violence now, and you know, you get like, okay, we have you know three people dead and a missing child. Right. You're at least getting the state police involved, uh, and I would imagine just for backup, because now, okay, you got three people dead and a missing child. You're yeah. going to get, you know, the other states involved just to protect, okay, people from going, okay, you know, just trying to sneak out of state. And there know. was very little involvement from this little town, which is weird. It makes you wonder if they even had their own police department. You wonder, because, like, if something happened in our little town, let's say Edinburgh, everyone there to this magnitude would be trying to help do what we can. We'd go search. We'd, you know, speculate, whatever. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't make sense, man. It's weird. I wonder. I mean, you know, and just because, like, the reports that we've that we've um, got our information from, you know, they're pretty much like, um, you know, your 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 bullet points, really. Yeah. So, I mean, there could have been, you know, searches going on from the community, or it could have been. They don't really discuss that all that much, but. Yeah, we only touched it. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot more surrounding this topic that we didn't even touch on. Sure. We hit the main points just to give you a taste of what happened. Um, I hope you enjoyed it. I, I didn't really, I'm not going to say I enjoyed it. Yeah. I mean, it was interesting. Yeah. But. This, you know, to be honest, this 
and, and maybe we can do a podcast and a live uh, show on this as well. Uh-huh. Yeah, this case almost reminds me, there was a case like back in the 1800s in Germany that was very similar, mm-hmm. where there was an entire family murdered with an axe. Two of the kids were found in the barn. The remainder of the family was found um, in the house. The only two people that weren't home were the father and the son. The father was away on... or. The father oh. was away, but the son was away on like business or something yeah. or with another family. And there was foot tracks that came out of the snow or out of the woods from the snow and went back in. But was eyes that weren't tracks leading back the other way or any I other remember direction. hearing about this. And that there was like one person and then one of the kids in the barn, but they were covered up with hay. Yeah. it's one, And it was like truly... It was just the name of a German town. Yeah. It was like the something murders. Yeah, and it was a... They they Can't felt it was the father because he was very abusive and he mm-hmm. was again an alcoholic, but there was no conclusive proof. Yeah. The, 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 uh, the German police in that town couldn't... They couldn't link him, uh, you know, to that murder at the time. Yeah. But the son was apparently away with other family, I think. And we'll talk more. I, I would love to talk about that because yeah. the, there was a lot of, um, other than Martin Smart absolutely just giving himself away multiple occasions, aside from the physical evidence on that German scene like 100 years before, um, there was nothing that would implicate the father other than the fact that he was supposedly there at the time of the murders Mm -hmm. and himself wasn't harmed. Well, I I think we'll move to final thoughts now. Um, Mine are, as always, PTSD is a serious deal. And if if you're feeling alone or like you have these issues, you need to reach out to somebody. Um, Don't be scared to do that. Yeah, there's all kinds of resources, especially if you're military at the VA, which I know some of you veterans have mixed feelings about the VA. Right. But there's all kinds of also veteran founded agencies and foundations out there that are more than happy to help you, including Wounded Warrior and right. stuff like that. So if you're a veteran or a public service member who, who yourself are having trouble dealing with your demons, um, you know, reach talk out. Talk to somebody. Yeah, talk to know? somebody. If it's Tell a friend, a friend or yep. whoever. Go to the hospital. So. You know, we know that, you know, admitting there's a problem is not weakness. It doesn't make you weak. So. Um, but yeah, uh, my final thoughts on this are is... Oh, also, the, oh. to me, my second final thought, the saddest part besides the murders itself is the fact that these two guys are dead and they didn't get... They didn't get... Yeah, they lived indicted. as free men. Yeah, even they lived though, as free men after what they did. Yeah, I would so. have to say that would be part of mine is you got Bo, who, yeah, I mean, he only died at like seven years later. Right. Um, still too long, though. Still too long without ever facing uh, justice. And then, you know, you have Martin Smart who himself lived 29 years after the fact yeah, and never had seen justice at all, even despite his own giveaways. I mean, he gave himself away on so many occasions. It's like he was trying to be arrested. <laughs> and no one ever did anything about right. it. So I would have to say my final thoughts are, I mean, it's definitely a sad case. <laughs> it's a dark case. It's brutal. And, uh, um, I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, I, you know, I'm taught that, you know, you're not supposed to uh, rejoice in someone's demise, but I'm glad to know that these two men are, are long gone and they can't hurt anybody ever again. But um, the fact that these two men never faced any real justice is, yeah. uh, is uh, probably the most sad point of the whole case is knowing that they never saw any justice for the things they did wrong. Yep. Yep, that's it. So that's been the Ketty Cabin Murders. And uh, this is our first live episode. If, if uh, It looks like we got pretty good uh, w- views on it, so we'll, we'll continue to do them every once in a while. Yeah, so. absolutely. 
Thanks for watching. Have a good Sunday. See you guys.